What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 63 of Land Parties from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Lucas Agan. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Smith. Ryan, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Uh, had a pretty chill weekend, which was nice. Finished the base game for Little Nightmares. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, we downloaded the DLC content, so we're going to run through that, and then we're going to jump into Little Nightmares too. So I feel like I, I feel like I, I was uh, productive. Uh, finishing the game and whatnot. So that was, uh, it was cool. It was always nice to finish something. But how was your weekend, my friend? My weekend was pretty good. I didn't get to game that much, but uh, I gamed a little. And I, I will just say this episode comes out on a Wednesday, which is the final day that Super Mario 35 is available. So at the time of this recording, I'm at 98 wins. I got to find a way to sneak in two more victories to get you. to 100. And I'm still <laughs> mad at you, Nintendo. Just leave the darn thing up, please. Like, let's let's the game. I literally play the most on my Switch for a long time so don't do this to me but enough about us we have a very special guest this week he is based right here in las vegas and you know him formerly as the host of the esports minute podcast but has a brand new job at nerd street gamers mitch reams is joining us mitch congratulations how are you Thank you, Lucas. I am doing really well, although I'm also beat up about Super Mario 35 as well. <laughs> Man, I've said this like a million times. This is the one battle royale I can actually win and win so much consistently. And now they're just ripping it from my hands and I'm just going to cry myself to sleep that night. Dirty. Absolutely dirty. I'm not, You guys are going to hate me, but I totally I just downloaded it last night <laughs> it's, about to, it's about to end <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not even gonna play it because the real reason i i, I went on I, and i uh I, I did pick up monster hunter rise so i decided i wasn't originally gonna going to get it uh just because monster hunter world was my first uh monster hunter game but i feel like especially with it being on switch and only being available on switch i was like ah Let's get into it. Let's 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 jump in and, and and pick it up. So I did pick it up. So I'm excited to play that. But I, you know, I, yeah, I, I I've got no, uh, I've got, uh, I've got nothing. My head is not in that race. Because uh, you're right. Even though I downloaded it, it's a slim chance I actually play. It. My uh, my Monster Hunter is downloading right now. I imagine it's around fifty yes. percent. So yeah, that's after this after this podcast. That's that's what that's my plans for the afternoon. I'm excited to get into that. I, I gotta be honest. Monster Hunter is one of those series that I know is amazing. And I know a lot of people that love it. I always just have to tell myself, I'm like, this could be the game that gets me hooked on the series. And I never take the dive into it. But maybe I hope this one's good. And if you guys love it, I might jump in. It's a solid series, dude. I mean, it, like I said, the last one was the first time I've ever played it, and I had a lot of fun. Uh, they, they're solid. There's a lot of, especially if you like customizing and like builds and like upgrades and stuff like that. It's absolutely the uh, a game that you could appreciate for sure. Uh, but let's get into it at first. We wanted to start off. Uh, same thing as last year, PlayStation went ahead and they're doing another stay at home uh, initiative, basically giving away free games to people, which is fantastic. They're giving away a total of, which is huge, 10 games. Uh, and let me just read from the list real quick. 
They've got Abzu, which is fantastic. And and didn't uh 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 oh my goodness, I'm yes, forgetting he did. his Austin. name. Thank you. Yes, Austin worked on that, the music on that. We've got Enter the Gun Gun Gungeon. Oh, I don't know why I want to say Gungan. <laughs> I think that's a Star Wars reference, uh, which I started playing that game because I've heard good things about it. And, and it is solid. If you like dungeon crawlers, uh, that's a, the really fun game to play. You've got Res Infinite. You've got Subnautica, another solid game, The Witness on VR. And this is kind of where I'm like, ah, I feel like they offered a little too many VR games I think, but they've got Astrobot, Rescue Mission, Moss, Thumper, and Paper Beast. And I know that April 19th, Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition is coming out as well. So it's nice to see them bringing this back from last year where we were in this situation. We went into the pandemic and it was really a big push to keep people, you know, they know that people were at home. So being able to offer uh, games to people and keep people engaged we felt really uh help the situation out and help people get through things so it's nice to see them continue that trend um moving forward what are your guys thoughts on these games though from playstation yeah it's a nice list you know that the um it's it's interesting the vr titles obviously to try and uh get everybody prepped for psvr2 or whatever their official mm-hmm. title is for that uh the one that is most intriguing to me is their inclusion of horizon it gives me more hope that horizon forbidden west might actually make its release date yes. and come out this year because i mean obviously it's a great move to get more people excited for that sequel so i'm hoping that mm-hmm. means horizon's gonna hit its target date later this year so that that's probably the most exciting development of of this list for me yeah and you know i know there are some people that were complaining about the games and stuff but i mean really you can't be free 99 so you 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 take your free games the other thing too as far as with this is that you don't have to have uh playstation plus Okay, so you could just have just PlayStation not uh, opt into the online stuff and you still get the games for free, which I think is fantastic. And I think it also kind of speaks on kind of like you're saying with the Horizon Zero Dawn. This kind of gave me a little more hope of, wait a second, maybe this really will come out this year. Uh, Hopefully that's that kind of leading into this, which would be fantastic. But I, I think it's a solid lineup. As far as from them. Also, I wanted to speak on Xbox as well because they also put out their games list. Uh, what they've got for us coming out this year, if you do have, or this year, this month, if you do have uh, Xbox, is we've got Vikings, Wolves of Midgard, Truck Racing Championship, and then they're moving over from Xbox 360, a game called Dark Void and Hardcore. So, it's nice to see that uh, we've got solid games coming from them as well. I think there's other things releasing uh, as the month goes on too. So it, it, it I'm love, I'm just loving the fact that they're offering, they have these offerings. They know that people are stuck inside and they're continuing to give people at least some sort of entertainment and incentives, you know, for, Hey, thank you for being with the community. Thank you for having the, the, plus or or gold or whatever here's more free games stay in play be safe all that good stuff mitch do you own either the next gen systems 
I don't, funny enough. Uh, I have a Switch, and then I've just been waiting, biding my time. Um, but shout out to Nerd Street Gamers. They're actually sending me a PC, so I might be delaying that even further. There you, yeah. Go. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. Big plug for the new company. Lo- love them. Love them already. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even started working there yet. <laughs> new PC was, hype. Yeah, that was actually how they got you to come over. There's like PC, and you're just like, yes. <laughs> was part of the selling point. I won't. I won't lie. It was like they're a great company too, and I believe in them, and I'm excited to work with that team. But uh, yeah, when they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna send you a free PC. I'm like, yes, let's go. Cool. <laughs> I've made the right decision. I made the right decision. I love it. So yeah, that, I mean, there's some. It, it's I'm I'm happy to see that there there's some solid games out, and they're not the only ones. Check out Epic Games. Check out uh, all the other stores as well, because a lot of them are, and a lot of other companies are continuing this initiative of people being home and them offering and giving away free stuff. Uh, as entertainment, which is fantastic that, you know, again, they're being very receptive to the current environment, what we're in. I know, you know, with uh, vaccines and things rolling out, things are starting to lax up a little bit. So I think that'll also it'll be interesting because I feel like we're starting to kind of get into this hybrid period where people are becoming a little more comfortable going outside, maybe going to venues. We saw that uh, over um, uh, in theaters, Kong and uh, Godzilla. That I mean, I had a huge box office weekend, you know, so I think now some of these people are kind of rethinking, wait a second, people are you know, a lot more comfortable and are getting more comfortable going out and going to these old things. Maybe we, we, we rethink our plan. So it'll be interesting seeing moving into the summer, what some of these companies and stuff like that are doing. I'm, I'm guessing too, that people will start going back into the office and whatnot, which we know they're a lot more comfortable and will, will uh, uh, provide them a little more stability as far as with the development of the game. So maybe we do start seeing more of these games that we thought possibly were going to get delayed, you know, being on track. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I I hope you're right about that, Ryan. I have kind of just taken the attitude of I expect most of these games to see at least a short delay, but I'll be pleasantly surprised if that can start to turn around. So fingers crossed. Absolutely. And then we got some news uh, from Cyberpunk monster monster update from them i mean the list is absolutely ridiculously long it's a 44 gig update but uh it it is jam-packed with spicy spicy stuff spicy spicy news we know they've made a ton of uh changes as far as graphics they've made a bunch of uh, uh animation changes things to basically really optimize the experience i know they went back and they worked on the ps4 graphics which we know is a big issue we know that earlier and we talked about it earlier in the year how they got pulled from the playstation store which is major that that to me was completely unheard of so it's good to see that they're still breathing life and they're making huge update changes to the game i know there is one of my issues again i and and here's my thing about this too real quick there's a lot of people that have that have this has gotten a lot of negative press i feel my experience personally with it was not that bad. I enjoyed it immensely, actually. I didn't have, I had a couple of weird glitches. And the one annoying thing for me was not being able to uh, finish a quest. And, you know, that kind of was off putting for me. 
But I, I love the fact that they're going in and they're they're they've really put some serious, serious work into this, which makes me confident that they're not going to just be like, all right, this is just a lost cause. They're putting in the work because I still think and I still believe that this is going to be a great game. And I'm excited because there's also some uh, leaked news as far as DLC content updates uh future updates and stuff like that so we've got some names again a lot of this is is um not not official official news but uh i don't know i'm still pumped i i'm still pumped on this game did either of you guys get the get a chance to play this you know okay so here's here's what i'll say it is good that they're going in to fix a, a lot of this stuff and let's hope it can go the no man's sky route right and have that kind of redemption arc right. overall but I, I gotta be honest, it always makes me a little sad when you see like this lengthy patch and go, man, like all that stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> needed to be fixed and mm-hmm. you guys still just just rushed it out. And I know that's not the actual developer's fault. It's the people making the decision making. But my goodness, I mean, just just look at all the stuff that had to be fixed. Um this was chalk this up to a game that i really really wanted to like pre-release uh kind of like marvel's avengers um Mm -hmm. and i was i i was playing it or tried uh did not i don't have a next-gen system so like i never really got a chance to experience this in its best form or still have Mm -hmm. it so I'm kind of at this tipping point where I'm like, I'm really glad they're putting all this work into it, but I, I wonder how many people still care or will care or will give it another chance because for a lot of people, their initial impressions were not just bad. Like it was, it was terrible. So I don't know. Unplayable. I, I, some. Yeah. I hope, I hope it, this works out. I'm glad that they're sticking to it. Uh, but I think a lot of people like me had never even had a chance to experience a playable version of this game. And it's going to take a lot for us to, to really give it a real shot. And you might be in a better position too. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Mitch. No, I was, I was just going to say, I think these types of updates are going to become more and more common as we go forward, where it's just like, there's so much of a hive mind surrounding a game that once something comes out, people are just finding every single bug they can. They're posting it to Reddit immediately and we're seeing mm-hmm. this is treated like almost as like a a stab. You mentioned No Man's Sky, and that's the other big example of this, where it's just like here's a massive game that promised a lot of things, doesn't deliver on them, but eventually gets there. And I think that's going to be a pretty common cycle, especially hopefully. You know, this didn't happen for Cyberpunk, but as the industry moves further and further away from crunch, I'm mm-hmm. okay with games shipping not ideal if it means the developers get to have work life balance. And then they fix them in, in following updates. But, you know, at this time, also CD Projekt Red also had crutch. So it's a, it's not like that's necessarily the case here. But yeah, that's one positive I do see from this stuff. Because it's like, we have games as a service now. It, it sucks when it doesn't ship perfectly. But if it gets there, that's all that really matters to me. See, but but so then so my thing about that, though, is that because look at Outriders, which is not live service, which I think is smart. I feel like I'm hoping the trend goes the other way and they do like I think there's because it's still because there's still going to be stuff that's going to come out 
after mm-hmm. for Outriders. So I think eventually it will kind of be like almost like a hybrid live service, if that's even a thing or could be a thing. But you're right. Majority, I, I feel like a lot of games got on this live service trend. And again, I was an early and hardcore adopter of Anthem. They made me look like a fool. Uh, <laughs> and that was so off-putting for me, not only for the game, uh, not only for Bioware, but just the live service in general and how not to do a live service game. It's not easy. I'm also a Destiny fan as well. So I've been through that ebb and flow of, oh, this is really good. And what are you doing? You know, yeah. um, so it, it's it's difficult. But, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think that there's still a lot of opportunity for this game to still be good. I still think that they're going to be able to have a redemption arc. They're clearly putting in the work. It is disappointing, though, that it is trending more where we're getting like this half-cocked game. And then they're like, oh, we'll fix the rest later. It's like, well, how about you give me or I'll give you a half-cocked price or money uh, for this half game, you know, and then when you when you finish it, make it a DLC or something like that or or make it updates or I don't know something. It just I don't know. Something about that rubs me wrong because it's like when I'm paying full price, I expect a full game. So, you know, I don't I, you know, but again, that kind of goes with the territory of these live service games. Yeah, and I'm not sure what you can get Cyberpunk right now, but I'm sure it's been discounted following all the <laughs> yeah. the outrage. So yeah, maybe the maybe the takeaway is like don't buy AAA titles on release. Let them come out. Right. Let Reddit get outrage. It'll get discounted. They'll fix the game. You get a cheaper price and a better game. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, you got jumping, Lucas, you jumping in now or or in a little bit is going to be way better or way, a way better experience than somebody that had it day one. And I'm that fool. Anytime you see that marketing hype, they are targeting people like me. They get me every time. Almost. I'm learning my lesson. I'm learning my lesson. <laughs> you know, that that was going to be my exact point is like it, it's going to cause me to wait to buy a, a bunch of these games and, and see mm-hmm. how it, it works out and see wait for them to fix a bunch of stuff. However, I do wonder, like, how how is that going to affect these companies bottom lines? Like if everybody is now going to take a let's wait and see, but not that many people actually buy it day one. Are they going to like it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that affects how they approach it. I just, I would rather see them delay a game and come out with a fairly complete project. Like I know patches are a thing now and I'm okay with that. I just mm-hmm. want it to be a, a mostly complete game. Like this is, this sounds weird to say that, but like a playable <laughs> game, like, like an experience that day one, you can have fun with it. Like, I don't feel like that's too much to ask. So I would rather see them delay than to try and stick to these release dates uh, and I also think, too, that maybe we ought to stop uh, hyping up these games for seven, eight years before it comes out, because that does not help anybody. And I think that might have been a lesson that they're starting to see a little more of. I'm the same way. I'd rather not know about about a game until it's like, hey, in a few months, this game's coming out or even like six months out or, or something like that. But like they're on track production wise, uh, you know, doing stuff that are able to not only not have to crunch uh, these developers and, and people that are working on these games, but then you don't have the, uh, um, you know, the your fan base or, or whatever, you know, getting outraged or end up getting disappointed. I think there's that weird little 
you you know, you have these developers, you have these studios, they're essentially on the front line. But really, like you're saying, the people that are making decisions are the board members and these people that said, look, we said we're going to make X amount of dollars. You guys need to make X amount of dollars by this time. We're pushing this out. So it, it's it's a conundrum. It's, it's a difficult conundrum. Um, but hopefully we're able to, you know, get to a space where where there I think I almost feel like especially with the Internet outrage, I feel like they're almost having to take notice and say we need to adjust our strategy because we know it's coming uh, if we don't. So we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, let's uh, uh, enough about video games. We got Mitch on here. We're going to sit down, jibber jab with him next. Stick around, guys. We'll be right back. Hey there, it's Lucas with Land Parties again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the chance to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you will receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate that any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite games, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome back, everybody, and now comes to the fun part of the interview. And before we get going, Mitch, I, I should have mentioned we're both from Oregon. We have that connection going for us as well. <laughs> but Exactly, exactly. Mitch, take take us back to the beginning of your journey. What got you into the more journalistic side, and where did esports kind of enter the equation for yourself? Yeah, it, it all started in Oregon. At the University of Oregon, I was studying sports broadcasting, electronic media, wanting to be a you know, classic football commentator or what have you. Uh, in about 2016, and around that time, I also... I've been I've always been a huge gamer and I was playing Rocket League, which had just come out like a year ago and Hearthstone. And so I started looking for TESPA leagues and these collegiate leagues where I could just mess around and compete in more structured set. And I remember scrolling through this list of all these different schools that were competing in this. And I always knew esports was the thing, but that was kind of my like aha moment of, oh, wow, this is so, so big, especially with people my age. And so coming out of school, I was like, let's combine the two. And this was also the time when uh, Overwatch League is seeing tons of investment by traditional sports owners. You've got random people like NRG is picking up like Shaq and uh, Philadelphia Phillies players and all these other like things that are bringing sports and esports closer together. And so I was like, okay, I'll make that kind of my intersection. I want to be where sports and esports are. So coming out of school, I started 
uh, freelance writing, and I did that for four years, uh, writing for places that like mainstream publications, like Sport Techie, uh, was my first one. Where just talking about esports for digital sports audience, and that extended to Ad Week for quite a while. I uh, did an article for the Washington Post around Las Vegas and sports books and how they were uh, adapting to esports during the pandemic. I uh, did an article for The Verge, and then I found myself getting further and further into the esports thing, just because I found it so much fun. And so it drifted into more of the endemic esports publications, Hotspawn, Esports Insider, uh, Dexerto for a while, and those kind of pubs. And so, uh, you know, I still do love sports and I still enjoy talking about it, but I, I've just sort of drifted further and further into, well, let's talk to esports players. Let's just let's just learn more about what's going on in esports because from a journalistic perspective, it's fascinating. There is so much that goes on in this world that is not covered. And when you compare it to sports, where like stories have been just played out over the last four decades or whatever it is, like people are still doing some great sports reporting. But esports to me has so many untold stories, uh, so many interesting things happening every year. Uh, where it's just like, oh, a new game's created, and now the Overwatch League might be fracturing because Valorant is out. And it's like this, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that just never happens in sports, and I find it really, really fascinating to report on. You know, talking about that, we, we've seen journalism evolve, right? As as esports has evolved, we're seeing more traditional publications try and, and evolve with it and pay more attention to that. You know, you mentioned Washington Post, you see the LA Times and, and major institutions what have you seen change and what needs to change the most in how people are covering esports from from what you've seen so far yeah that's a that's a great question it a lot of it in the esports media realm there's a there's quite a few conflicts of interest in, in generally in how things are covered and that extends across esports because of how small of an industry it is you have places like team operators who also operate talent agencies which is clearly mm. a massive conflict of interest, right? Because mm-hmm. they're supposed to negotiate against each other. Those same <laughs> places also have sometimes uh, conflicts of interest with journalistic reporting. Um, so I'm working for Nurture Gamers, and this is going to be more of a like player profile, less pure journalism role from what I'm aware. I don't start till April 12th, but uh, they, they have backers from places like Comcast Spectacore, uh, from... Uh, the Philadelphia Fusion and things like that. And so I know I'm going into a role like they have a partnership with Ryan and stuff like that. So I know where I'm going to a more supplementary role instead of a journalistic role. Um, But there's also some publications like Upcomer, which a lot of my friends just got paid really well by the the relaunch of a massive esports publication called Upcomer. And I'm so stoked for them. But it's also backed by Enthusiast Gaming, which is a publicly traded company. It also backs Luminosity, Vancouver Titans and Seattle Search. So, you know, how much journalists, I'm not in those, I won't speculate on anything that's going on over there. I trust those people over there to have made uh, those decisions. But there is, it's a very interesting dilemma that comes, especially with how small esports are and how consolidated it is, that oftentimes the journalists covering an industry are also backed by important pieces in that industry. Let me let me ask you, Mitch. Uh, you said and you said that you had done an article on esports here in Vegas. What what was your take on, especially when we went into lockdown and stuff like that? How esports transition? I I personally I felt like they kind of stumbled across where you would think already being in that digital space that they would have that stuff 
set up, ready to go, tested and, and good. And I just felt like it, it didn't feel like an easy transition for them. It was it was odd. I think there's some places that moved a lot more quickly with it and some places that that didn't. And Riot Games uh, has some faults as a company, but did a good job of transitioning early to the point that they were mm-hmm. even able to hold a LAN event in the fall, which was uh, no other esports uh, esport was able to do something like that, so that was cool. But yeah, the the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues both took like a two month hiatus, which felt too long, uh, considering mm-hmm. that they could be able to move online and they did eventually move online. But it felt like there was a lot of momentum lost during that time. And then the other big thing that happened during that was the sports simulations just throwing things at the wall and hoping something stuck. Uh, where it's like, oh, the NBA 2K is now playing. Players are playing players. And the NBA 2K League <laughs> is doing that. For some reason, NBA refuses to combine the two. Uh, but then <laughs> MLS tried to. They tried to do two legs where one leg was a FIFA player for EMLS and the other was an MLS player. And they combined the two scores. I thought that was really smart. Viewership was bad. So, you know, we don't really know what what's happening here. And the big winner was iRacing. Uh, and uh, right. the simulated racing and this this genre, which saw consistently the highest viewership of all of those uh, sports simulation events, they moved the quickest. NASCAR actually within two weeks uh, of the, the the last race had a virtual race happening with major drivers. And they saw consistently over a million viewers on all of those broadcasts through the spring until races came back. So uh, you wouldn't really give NASCAR a lot of credit for being the most forward thinking of all these uh, leagues, but they did it. As we kind of look back, the pandemic's been affecting a lot of areas for a little over a year now. Where where has esports made the most strides? And I know that's a big question to ask generally, but and what what issues do you think have kind of bubbled to the surface that they need to address for long term health here? Yeah, there's that that is that is a big question. I think uh, over the pandemic, the biggest win for esports it's not been a ton of revenue which is what a lot of people a lot of articles came out around like oh esports is winning huge but it is public perception a lot of people became aware of esports who weren't aware of it previously or had their thinking evolve a bit or at least just were like oh okay yeah we see why this is a thing people like to watch and at the very least that's that was big there was also a lot of brands that it took a hiatus of normal schedules for them to finally implement things they were talking about or thinking about with esports and gaming, where it's like, okay, a lot of brands had had talked about this and a lot of brands have been activating in this space for the last three or four years. Uh, but there was quite a few, like we saw the Ford and Rocket League partnership. That's that's a deal that I believe was completely born out of a pandemic where Ford has so much mm-hmm. marketing budget, they could do so many different things. And it took the shutdown of sports leagues or whatever have you that freed up some, some budget and they ended up putting a Ford F-150 in Rocket League, which is like the slam dunk partnership that, it, that everybody should have done for the last three years, um, doing some other really cool activations and just this massive rollout. And I think that was the kind of like big thing that you could point to that esports gained out of this is just more awareness of it, even more so than it was previously. As for... What needs to be? What was the? What was the second part? What needs to be fixed, or what issues are? Yeah, arising? yeah. Did you see any issues kind of start to to bubble to the surface, or maybe became more prominent that needs to be addressed for kind of long term health here? Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, 
There, there are a few. There, there are social issues like the uh, allegations uh, around Riot Games and, and some of the sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, ongoing lawsuits, uh, what have you, what have you. That's a big issue for sure that is not necessarily only in esports, but exists in esports and esports needs to figure out. Um, and then on the industry side as well, you've got two big ones that I think are are what really prevent esports future growth over the next 10 years. And that's one, the age that players are retiring. They're retiring generally around 23, 24 years old. Uh, and the comparison I use is imagine if LeBron James, who came out at 18 years old, retired at the age of 24 before he ever joined the Miami Heat, before he ever won an, an NBA championship. That would be really bad for basketball. He's mm -hmm. crucial for the, the growth of a star here. And the way esports moves is only giving people five years to cement their brand name, then they're retiring. We've seen really high profile retirements in UZI, in uh, League of Legends, in Scump, in, in Call of Duty, people who just have fallen off a cliff that normally athletes fall off when they're like 34 years old. Esports players are falling off at 24. And that's, I'm not sure what changes there. I'm not sure if it's just a young person's game or what, but uh, yeah, that's one big issue because if we're going to build people into the generational stars that we hope they can be, which is really how sports exists and why sports is so profitable and why people watch all the time, they have to play for more than five years. Uh, and I'm not sure how that necessarily is fixed. I think there could be some health things that go into that. I think uh, some more work-life balance. But in general, I think it's a game that requires really, really high response times and, and things that, that fall off a little bit quicker than, than an athlete an athlete might uh, because there's less reliance on your on your body or how you're like uh, health and, and things like that. So that's that's one thing on the player front. And then the, on the like league structure organization front, developers need to give more to teams. Teams are what most of the investment is coming in through and developers aren't really making it a business that makes a lot of sense, which is why you see these teams transitioning into content houses. They're signing streamers, uh, they're producing content, they're working with brands, and that's their primary focus more so than building. Maybe I shouldn't say more so, but we're seeing a, a big uh, shift into what they're focusing on versus just creating really competitive teams and winning leagues because they're not seeing the monetary results of those leagues. And that's being borne out in the Call of Duty and Overwatch leagues where sports owners paid a combined 50 to $60 million to enter these leagues. Mm. And they're not seeing the, R the ROI whatsoever. And so that's kind of the big thing that has to change because right now it's a one, the developers just hold all the keys and they're not spreading the wealth in a way that makes an ecosystem uh makes sense for everybody. And I think you touched on something so, so important, and we talked about this earlier, way, way back when, but as far as with esports and really being able to almost like, we need to know the, we need these characters, like you're saying, LeBron James without, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, without LeBron James, you know, if he had ducked out or whatever, you kind of lose that connectivity with your fans. And I feel like that's where esports really has some struggles is that they don't, there's not a lot of focus on the character and people connecting with people, even though they're trying to go, you know, this traditional 
model of um, of sports and kind of following it because you have a lot of people that are in that industry now stepping into esports side. But there's not that connection, and and it's so important, like you were saying, them now branching out and getting these streamers and signing streamers and stuff like that. Because I feel like that's where they're starting to get some of that connectivity, but I feel like that's an overall brand thing. What do you think they could do as far as being able to really get some and pull some superstars and really focus on some of these characters? Cause we know there's so many amazing stories in esports to tell. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because that's going to be a core function of my job at nursery <laughs> gamers. Uh, yes. So I, I think a lot of it starts with storytelling and, and really talking to these people and having these people be, you know, getting their stories out there. And, you know, if we only have six years for them to build a brand, well, let's really start telling their stories. And let's also show that there's a market for their stories and for people telling them, especially after ESPN Esports shut down. It felt like there was a gap in like, who's going to tell stories? And now a lot of those people have landed at Upcomer. And so I'm excited for them to continue their their great work. But yeah, uh, Third Street Gamers is a venue and event operating company. And so they've been running the Valorant Champions Tour, as you can see on the top right there. Uh, and so they've been, you know, running all these major events in the first season of this new major esport. And I've been freelancing you know, for, for, with them for the last three months. So I've been talking to uh, team captains, people who are leading their teams, people who are qualifying for events at 100 Thieves, at uh, Evil Geniuses, at Cloud9. And all these major esports organizations, and especially in the first year of a new esport, being able to tell stories kind of at the ground floor right there. It's the game came out about a year ago for beta, mm -hmm. and then it came out free release in June of 2020. So we're less than a year into this game being out, and it's already starting to build up its own brands. And so that was one of the main things that drew me to it is being able to tell some of these early stories in here and tell these player profiles and talk about how uh, Asuna, who's one hundred thieves star player is like fighting pressure from his parents to to continue to be good because he's 17 years old or 18 years old or however old he is because he's like his parents want him to go to college and so it's like these are the stories and this is where they start or I, uh, I talked to first killer who's the star of rogue in rocket league who's quickly one of the top teams and him it's him and two 16 year olds on that roster and so they're these like young guns really starting out and so i want to put a big focus on telling the stories of people there so that when first killer's 23 and he's won, knock on wood, hopefully a couple championships for, for the kid, uh, then he has like a little bit of, there's, there's a history there of, of the storytelling. So that's one thing I think esports could do and I'm really excited to do at Nerd Street. You know, it's interesting because I, th I think that in the past, there's at least been a perception that esport organizations are protective of their players or there's a, there's a shroud of secrecy necessarily there, there hasn't been that access that we see to athletes in other sports and for there to be superstars those stories have to be told beyond the core audience right lebron is a superstar because you can ask 100 people and 99 of them are going to know who lebron is how do you get these organizations to open up to to have to a, to a more broad base of people who are trying to tell their stories. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. They it's twofold, right? They one have to trust their players to not say cuz I don't think they I I don't think organizations are historically closing their players off cuz of the journalists. I think they're closing it off cuz they're not entirely confident in what they're going to say. And so <laughs> I media trading is a huge 
one. So I don't think they're worried about journalists generally in esports <laughs> don't ask very hard hitting questions. Like myself included. And it goes back to that conflict of interest thing. But like, I think they're more worried that like a benign question is going to come up and they're going to say something and they just can't trust completely that the, the player is going to be completely brand safe or whatever they want them to say, or that they'll handle it, handle it with tact. Um, and that's kind of where I think they, they struggle a little bit is they're just worried about the players. And so it comes down to media training, in my opinion, because I'll, you either have players who overshare probably to the point where the brand doesn't want it, or they undershare and you, it's like pulling like teeth, trying to get them to answer a question, tell a story about them. Um, and so trying to find the people in that middle ground and some, a lot of the people in that middle ground are some of the most recognizable voices and names in esports because they've been doing really good media appearances over the years and it comes with experience and it also comes with media training. I think that's something that every esports organization should be some RDR, but I think should be investing even more in because it pays a bigger dividend, uh, than, the potential downside and it also is risk aversion right it'll it'll protect you and just just being able to trust that you can send a player out there and they're gonna be like good is so crucial for pr because it's uh, every time there's pr person or or two sitting on a call and usually the the players are uh, more times than not they're undersharing than oversharing Dude, I couldn't even imagine it because you're saying like a lot of these players are young. These are these are young kids that are in there. So to, to go on, be pro- professional, I couldn't imagine 16 year old me going on. I would absolutely probably say some crazy stuff. Well, so. the, <laughs> that's the other really interesting thing to get back to the LeBron comparison is you have LeBron had media people around us since he was like 11. Right. Like mm-hmm. especially in the age that, that it goes now, it's like people knew this kid was going to be nuts. And so, and that happens for most athletes. Uh, Lucas, you've covered some high school sports. Mm-hmm. You're a journalist there. If you're a good high school player, you're talking to the media at the age of like 16, 17. Like you, yep. you work your way through a progression of high school media to college media to pro media. In esports, one day you get signed and then the media cares about you. And it's usually the biggest mm-hmm. publications. That, that exists. There's not really that same ramp up of like media availability. And so a lot of them are rightfully pretty overwhelmed, which is why, again, I think media training is uh, something that, that would pay a lot of dividends because it's like, okay, we need, I don't blame a 16 year old for not knowing how to talk to the press when they've never done it before. That's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so just preparation is crucial, uh, but I think players are getting better. And I think organizations are investing in that front just based on my own conversations over the last uh, six months or so. You know, to kind of uh, focus on on your career here a little bit, what about Nerd Street Gamer stood out to you? What made this the opportunity that you wanted to jump at and and leave uh, the success that you were already having uh, before this? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I really enjoyed Esports Network, which is where I was doing my three podcasts: Esports Minute, Esports Network podcast, and the College Esports Quick Take. It's doing a lot of audio content. But what what really stood out to me at Nerd Street Gamers was a few things. One, I believe in the company. I, I really think that they're the way they're expanding into different local host venues and some of the different avenues of their brand are really, really smart. And so being in a place that just raised their Series B, that is what I think is on a great growth trajectory, was was kind of a slam dunk for me there. Um, that also is involved in other things beyond just media, because that does provide a little bit more stability uh, 
it's no secret to you all that media is a little bit of an unstable industry at times. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a little bit more stability backed by other aspects of the business. Great. Um, but the other thing that really was the selling point for me um, was the team I get to work with, which is Brian Bencomo, who was an editor at ESPN Esports. Uh, and now he's built out a team of freelancers. I'm the first staff writer. So working directly under him, he's got a master's in journalism from USC, super smart dude. And then our VP of media, Todd Berman, is a longtime veteran of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, Again, really smart dude, really great guy. And so being able to work with that kind of structure, where I knew that the two people immediately above me that I report to are both really, really smart and I can learn a lot from them. Uh, was what was what uh, sold me at the end. So, what do you think is going to differentiate from you know other other sites and other uh, uh, publications like this? Yeah, it's. I, I'm still trying to. I don't want to get too like. Oh, I know exactly how it's going to be because I haven't started yet. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I I think ultimately what I'm doing is in a more supporting role, which I'm which I'm stoked about. Right? Is like I think esports can the best thing for it. And there's, there's a lot of journalists doing great investigative reporting and getting things out there. It's never really been my role. I really enjoy just telling the stories around this space. Uh, and so I'm really excited to just be supporting their events, telling their stories, connecting with the community um, in a way that Nerd Street has this extra access because they run all these competitions. And so uh, we, we've talked about plugging articles during broadcasts and things like that and just figuring out ways that the storytelling that happens around the games can also be uh, placed into the broadcasts of the games themselves. Um, how community-based esports are going to evolve over the next five years, which I think is really, really interesting. And just and here in Las Vegas, we have the esports arena, and that's one of the more high-profile ones across the country. But we're going to see more and more venues open up in communities, and that's something that I think has a lot of positive benefits for esports, including reducing toxicity that a lot of gamers f- see online. Uh, having people play in a local community center where they're with their teammates is going to reduce a lot of the toxicity that's so rampant uh, in online ranked play. So th- I think there's some really cool benefits there that Nurture Gamers is working on as well. What would your advice be if somebody wanted to go down the journalism track? Like, I know that obviously we know that our industry is changing rapidly anyway, but if, if somebody was more interested in this media side of things, what are those steps they need to be taking or thinking about to kind of get to where you are now and, and, and beyond? It's an interesting question because I, I won't sugarcoat it. Media is pretty unstable right now, especially as we're just seeing things close and open and then close again it's if you if you want long-term stability media isn't the profession for you but if you uh care about telling stories if you care about talking to really cool people and just kind of getting into the industry i think that's what i started out doing which okay uh to, to to draw back a little bit my first year in this industry was learning that was it i came out of school and i knew about the esports i covered but I didn't know about the history of League of Legends. I didn't know about uh, Dota 2 and the past. Like I didn't know about WoW Arena and these different things that happened, CS Source, that happened when I was like 11 and 12 years old. Uh, and so I had to go back and learn. And I still see a ton of articles come out from people where they clearly don't know what happened 10 years before. 
And I think that's the most important thing a good journalist can do is if you want to cover the space, understand all aspects of it because you can't just go in hoping to talk to your favorite players and call that good. It's complicated. And there's a lot of different things. And as an esports journalist, you're going to be asked probably to cover most esports. You could cover like maybe League that just supports one or CSGO. But if you want to just cover one esport, you're probably in the wrong industry. You're probably going to need to cover everything and have a baseline level of knowledge on every esport to be in this. And and as uh, Ryan and Lucas, you guys have seen, you you have to cover every game. A game's coming out, you have to have thoughts about it. You have to be be on top of it. So, you know, it's... uh, I don't like to sugarcoat it because it's a job and you have to do a lot of research into games that you don't really care about. (laughs) To be be completely frank, I don't don't care about Dota. I'll say that. (laughs) TI's TI's fascinating, but if somebody asked me to cover like a TI preview recap, well, my ass is going to learn. Oh, I'm sorry about that, RJ. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) have... I'm going to have to learn about it. And so that's, I, I think you have to do, you have, you have to treat it like a job and that'll help you stand out as well as just being able to cover the things that people aren't as interested in. Because if you're interested in something, so are a lot of people probably. And so it's whatever you can do as well that other people aren't doing or other people aren't thinking about. And for a lot of my coverage, that was marketing and advertising strategies. Yeah, I'd rather write about games and how the games play out. But the, the advertising and marketing side is fascinating and nobody at Adweek was covering it. And so that became my avenue to get a lot of my stuff published. And, you know, it, it, I do find it absolutely fascinating, but I think there's, you have to figure out what you can cover that nobody else is at the time. And, and one thing too, that I do find fascinating is this discussion and debate about, you know, what makes a journalist, what, how much, how much training you need. Do you have opinions on like, do you think people should slash need to try and get uh quote traditional journalism experience or go to school and, and study? Or are you of the opinion that uh, they can kind of make their, make their own way these days? I, I think you certainly can make your own day. And now I say that as somebody who graduated uh, from a good journalism program and it was really invaluable to me. So for me, journalism school was crucial and I wouldn't be where I am today had I not gone to the University of Oregon, had I not studied sports broadcasting, not done random coverage of, of different things, got behind a mic, uh, things like I, I developed a lot of these skills that allowed me to do 700 podcast episodes at in school. And so I think there's something there. At the same time, you've got journalists like Jacob Wolf, who uh, was writing for Dot Esports at 16 and got hired by ESPN at 19. He didn't need that, and he doesn't need to to have ever gone to a journalism school. He's great at what he does, and so, you know, it's uh, it, it's hard to put a blanket thing over it. For me personally, journalism school is really helpful. For other people, they were able to be very successful without ever doing it, and they're fantastic journalists. So I don't think it's a requirement to be a great journalist, but for me, it helped me identify my pathway. Let me ask you: In the next five years, what would you like to see happen in the esports space? I do want to see developers give more and more. I, I would love to see an esports organization be profitable in some way, um, mm-hmm. make money and, and figure out whatever revenue channel that is. And maybe that's content and like these digital influence stuff. Um, but I would love to see devs giving a little bit more. Uh, and then also, I would love to see a little bit more of the professionalization of the space, a little bit more stability to come to it. I think that's really the the key thing right now is if... How many people from the Overwatch League 
are not going to invest in esports further. You know, who who just who put down forty million dollars for a spot and it's like, wow, we didn't get ROI. This league is it, 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 its viewership exists, but it's like when they lose a now disgraced MVP to a different game, it's uh, it's tough. And so I, I think there's I'm just curious how that plays out and how the perceived I don't want to say failing, but the perceived struggles of the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues and the amount of money that was invested in them affects the space going forward. Because I, I could see a, a retraction on people's wantingness to invest in esports, but at the same time, that might just be replaced by, oh no, actually now we're investing in content houses and the creator economy, which is like this huge thing that's happening now too. So I think esports is in this position right now where it's positioned for long-term success, but how that success is actually going to come, anybody who tells you they know exactly is probably lying to you. (laughs) (laughs) Facts. Absolutely. Yo, Mitch, thank you so much for being on and joining us. We appreciate it. Where can we find you on the interwebs? You can follow me at Mitch underscore Reams on Twitter. Uh, I post all my articles. I post random sporadic thoughts uh, about the esports industry. Taking a big break before I start. That's my website. Oh, I should update that probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad that's out there. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's MitchReams.com. It's got actually a lot of my my best articles, some of my uh, my podcasts and the links to the podcast I used to host, and uh, some of my video pro- programs from uh, from college as well, which were which were just sort of show a little bit of my. Uh, start there um but yeah that's i am out here i'm covering esports i love to talk esports i'm always happy to talk esports especially uh as well if there's any students listening or people who are who are interested in again the vegas area as well i love to talk esports and i'm happy to help students if y'all are interested in working in this industry um and then yeah if anybody in las vegas wants to connect and talk esports I just sit in this this room all day, but I'm about to get my second vaccination. So yeah. if you want to go somewhere that's not here, I'm down. So let's do that. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much again for joining us, Mitch. We appreciate it. Go check them out on the internet, guys. Uh, Lucas, before we wrap up, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Uh, more Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh I, you know what? You guys are convincing me. I might check out Mon- Monster Hunter here. I, I think I think I'll do wait it. to hear that you guys like it. And if you do, I'll jump in. I do want to give a quick shout out to Patrick Gallagher, Dice K, and Jeremy, who were all nominated at the BAFTAs. Unfortunately, they didn't win. So hopefully we're not like a uh, curse on everybody. But hey, they got nominated. So that was that was good. So congratulations <laughs> to them. Obviously, amazing performances across the board. And I uh, can't wait to see what's next for each of them, including maybe that Ghost of Tsushima movie that's coming. Uh, Dice K's lobbying pretty hard right now to get him in into that lead role in the movie. Yes. I, I firmly support that. What about yourself, Ryan? Absolutely. You know, it is. It's Outriders for me. I'm going to play till my eyes bleed. So I am excited about that. That is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going hard in the paint. The girls are out of town. It's just me solo dolo. So it's work. Play video games. Play video games. Work. Maybe eat somewhere in, in between. But but 
Anyway, we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Thank you so much for joining us again. Don't forget check us out on Twitter at Lamb Parties Pod or uh, Lucas Egan or Smitty2447. We hope you guys have a fantastic week. And don't forget, we love your faces. Let's, 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 let's.